Let me get you to open in the Bible to the passage we're going to look at for a moment this morning. We're continuing our series through uh, the book of Philippians. We've made our way over several weeks to uh, chapter 2, and uh, this morning we're looking at just uh, two verses, verses 12 and 13 in the Pew Bible, which some of you will have nearby. You'll find on page 1,248 the sermon text that I'll be preaching from this morning. Paul writes to this church that he loves, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Let's pray. Gracious God, we pray that you'd please send the Holy Spirit upon us, the same Spirit that was at work in your servant Paul, that moved him to write these words a millennia ago. We pray that that same gracious, sovereign Spirit would pry open our cold, resistant hearts and give us grace, Father, to hear your word this morning, to believe it, to obey it, and to rejoice in it. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. If you would uh, take out the sermon outline, you'll find it on the purple piece of paper in the bulletin. You'll find the text, which is very short this morning, and a a big outline with just two points. First point is uh, your work. Um, In this section, Paul is describing to the church in Philippi what it he begins to describe what it looks like to live out Christ's example of humility. We saw this last Sunday. We looked at this beautiful, poetic, dramatic description of the incarnation of Jesus. What a wonderful thing to be able to do on the first Sunday of Christmas to think about the incarnation of Christ, his coming into the world, his setting aside his glory for our sake which he has done at Bethlehem and at the cross. He set aside what was rightly his in order to get something for us that is not rightly ours. It's only ours because he makes it right through his sacrifice. And we saw that first Sunday of Christmas about the incarnation of Jesus at Bethlehem. Well, you could say this morning, beginning in verse 12, it's going to continue through uh, much of the rest of the letter, uh, Paul is going to talk about the incarnation of Christ in us. The same Jesus that was born in Bethlehem uh, that begins the Christmas story is continuing through the likes of you and me. Uh, Christmas is far too wonderful to celebrate on just one day or even uh, one Sunday. It's, uh, it's in our traditional calendar marked out by an, a, a period of extended reflection. It actually continues on right through Epiphany because the significance of the incarnation of Jesus at Bethlehem continues with the incarnation of Jesus through the church and the mission of the church. See, there's no separating the work of Jesus Christ come into the world at Bethlehem from the work of Jesus Christ in the church today taking the gospel to the whole world. 
So right after the season of Christmas comes the season of Epiphany, which is the season of mission. A season, a whole extended period of time where we reflect on our call in Christ to witness to the whole world. And so Paul begins in verse 12, his, his sort of unpacking of the incarnation of Christ at Bethlehem by saying, therefore, in other words, what he's about to say is intimately connected to what he has just said, what he has just written. There's a connection, a very close connection. So Paul says, because of what Jesus has done by taking on our flesh, by becoming human, by entering into this world of sin and judgment, he has entered into the world and therefore, my beloved, Paul says, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I actually called the sermon this morning, work out your own salvation. You know, if, if you read just those words by themselves, you certainly wouldn't have a Presbyterian sermon. Uh, you wouldn't have an evangelical sermon. But let me tell you, if you just took those words by themselves, you wouldn't really have a Christian sermon. Because it doesn't stop there. We're going to see that it doesn't stop there. But it does start there. Paul wants us to understand that there is an intimate connection between the way we live our life today and our understanding of what Christ has already accomplished. What has Christ accomplished? Well, he tells us in Philippians chapter 2. Jesus has entered into our world. He is, verse 7, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Verse 8, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. On that cross, Jesus Christ once and for all secured your salvation and mine. So we're not out to earn God's favor and mercy. We are the grateful beneficiaries of God's grace and mercy. And Paul says, because of that, it will have implications for the way we live. He's already said that uh, back across the page. He talks in chapter 1, verse 27, about letting our manner of life be, to be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Well, he's, he's really expanding on that theme. And it turns out that our living a life worthy of the gospel has everything to do with obedience. God actually calls us to live lives of obedience. He cares how we live. Now, that's, that's very important to get straight. I think there's a stream of Christianity which tells us that we pray a prayer of commitment and then basically God doesn't care what we do from that point on. He doesn't care. It's a, it's a matter of utter indifference to him. There's a, a school of theology uh, that I'm very familiar with, which, te which teaches that. Once saved, always saved. Uh, exclamation point, full stop. That's the end of the story. Um, and actually, that isn't the whole story. It's central to the story, but it isn't the whole story. God cares deeply how we live. 
One of the things I love about Presbyterianism is we, we believe that the law does have a purpose for Christians. The Ten Commandments, we just uh, went through what the Heidelberg Catechism has to say about the Ten Commandments. Read the Heidelberg Catechism. It tells us that this text of the Old Testament written centuries and centuries before Jesus does have significance to you and me today. We're to read it. We're to learn from it. We're to heed it. And yes, we are to obey it in Christ. He's the supreme interpreter. He is the enfleshed interpretation of the entire Old Testament. The entire law we see in Jesus. He's the summary, the exclamation point, the representation of the law. And so Paul says to these beloved Christians that they and through them you and I are to obey. We've always obeyed. That's, that's part of what the Christian life is, a life of obedience. And he says, it's, it's not only as in my presence. Remember, Paul was writing from prison. Such was the relationship Paul had with this church in Philippi that even though he was writing from prison, they would listen to him. They would heed what he has to say, that they will uh, continue to obey. And he describes it in this striking way, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I, I remember back uh, years and years and years ago, I was talking to a Christian of a totally different tradition, and he was telling me that this verse proved that uh, Christians have to work their way towards salvation, that they have to work with this fear and trembling. And the idea is we're never quite sure, we're never quite confident enough, but we're constantly hoping, we're working towards the day when our salvation will be secure. Maybe we're aided by the sacraments. Maybe we're aided by all kinds of rituals and ceremonies that we can do. We're helped along in the hope, the earnest hope, that one day we'll get it right. And this friend of mine, who I dearly loved and still love, was so confused about this. I mean, it's, it is literally as though he took that one verse and isolated it from everything before it, everything after it, everything else Paul had to say, everything else Jesus had to say, and everything the Bible teaches us, and he turned that into a kind of gospel of works. So well, let me tell you, there is no gospel if it depends on me and what I do, whether it's with fear and trembling or not. For one thing, he we often misunderstand what fear and trembling, as in this verse, what it actually even means. It does not mean the kind of fear and trembling you have during a horror movie. I love horror movies. My wife hates horror movies. She doesn't like fear and trembling. Uh, I like scary movies. But what Paul is describing here is not like a horror movie. It's also not like something that it's suspenseful. We're really hoping the good guy wins. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, the good guy has one. And the bad guys, you and me, are the beneficiaries of what he's accomplished. Now, here, fear and trembling doesn't describe sitting on the edge of our seats, uh, hoping that things work out well. It's, it's the fear which equates with reverence and awe. It's the kind of fear when you're standing out looking up at a starry sky and you see planets aligning 
in the distance. And this awe of how small each of us is. And how awesome, fearfully awesome God is. It's, it's the fear that shows up in the book of Proverbs and elsewhere that talks about fear actually being the beginning of wisdom. You can't have real wisdom without this fear, this reverence, this awareness of the awesomeness of God and the incredible tininess of you and me. So that's what Paul is saying. Work out your salvation. Live it out. Walk it out. Experience it. Your salvation with reverence. And this trembling, the trembling that he's describing here is one of humility. It's one of recognizing how tiny we are. It's it's the trembling that comes in the presence of awe and holiness. That's the trembling that Paul says you and I should have as we work out our salvation. We will work it out. We will live it out. We will seek to live lives worthy of our salvation in Christ. He said that already. He'll say it again. We are to live lives that reflect what Jesus has done for us. And he actually uses the work, the word work to describe that. It is not something where we are passive. It is certainly not something where we are sort of disinterested, along for the ride. I think there's a school of thought in Christianity that, that we're just sort of passengers. Uh, we're, we're just disinterested along for the ride. And let me tell you, sometimes church can feel like that, can't it? Sometimes church can feel like a place where you're a passenger. You're just sitting there. Well, let me tell you, that is not Paul's understanding of the Christian life. Paul's going to go on to talk about uh, striving, working, seeking to persevere. He's going to talk about, in verse chapter 3, verse 12, straining towards the goal. But we have a lot of important work to do. It's just not work to earn something. It's work of gratitude. And it's, it's a work that lives itself out in a particular way. It's not the, the dreaded, hopeless, despairing view of work that sadly some of us endure at work. Where we go to work and just kind of dread it every moment. No, that's not the kind of work Paul is talking about. It's certainly not the kind of work he did. It's not the kind of work he's calling us to do either. He's calling us to live out our lives with this work, which is based on reverence and humility, and it means we're living that out in all sorts of concrete ways. Obviously, it includes our moral lives, but it also includes our community life. Uh, Elizabeth, I, I am so grateful for you. I'm so grateful God brought you to uh, Metrocrest. I'm sorry I didn't have more of a chance to work with you, but I did get from you already a very memorable quote about the ministry of InterVarsity. I wrote it down. Elizabeth said that InterVarsity is about calling people to life-giving, authentic Christian community. That is beautiful. Life-giving, authentic Christian community. Bear in mind that 
This letter is not addressed to Dear Bill Lovell. I mean, it is addressed to Dear Bill Lovell, but it's also addressed to Dear Metrocrest, Dear Church in Carrollton, Dear Church in the World Today. These are words that do apply to me personally, but they also apply to all of us. This is a letter to a church, a fellowship of sinners like you and me. And it's to a church that Paul says, work out your own salvation. Live it out. As individuals and as a group, live out the salvation that has been secured for us in Christ. How do you do that? Well, uh, there are all kinds of tools. Let me tell you, the first Sunday of 2021 is a really good Sunday to encourage each of us and all of us to open our Bibles. Wouldn't it be great if 2021 was a year when each of us and all of us would renew our commitment to God's Word? Daily Bible study, daily reflection on God's Word. Let me tell you, being a pastor or an elder or a deacon, an officer of the church, is no guarantee that you will not have a dry spell in the study of God's Word. In fact, what I found is the more... In, in, involved you are in Christian work, the more distractions there are that, would, that will keep you from focusing on the Word. The more involved you get in Christian life, sometimes the more intentional you have to be about studying God's Word for the difficult work in front of us. So I want to challenge you. Make this a year. Let this be one of your New Year's resolutions. I'm not particularly big on resolutions for a new year. But this is a good one. Let's, let's resolve together to be more intentional about working out our salvation by engaging with God's saving, life-giving, joy-filled, hopeful word. Uh, one of the uh, elders at Christ Church Carrollton sent me on December 31st an invitation to do a, a Bible reading program called The Core. Uh, It's put together by some Christians, including some Presbyterians from the PCA uh, out on the West Coast. And they put together this Bible reading guide called The Core. I'm going to post it on the church uh, Facebook page if you'd care to look at it. We might even send it out to you if you're interested. The idea is, and it's a really humble idea, to get every Christian to read the Bible seriously for 10 minutes a day. When I, when I describe it that way, it sounds almost embarrassing until I remember there are lots of days I don't spend 10 minutes reading God's Word intentionally. So the, the, the purpose of this core Bible reading plan is, is not to sweep through the entire Bible. I, I know saints of the past have done that. But the, the purpose of this particular reading plan is simply to get Christians to be in the habit of engaging with God's Word. Maybe in 2021, we can all start with 10 minutes a day, and next year we'll go to Martin Luther's, what was it, three hours a day? <laughs> Starting at 5 a.m., that'll be our goal for next year. Uh, but for 2021, wouldn't it be a good thing if all of us, all of us, every single one of us, took some time every single day to read God's Word, to, to intentionally engage with what God wants to say to us. That'd be a great goal for 2021. That'd be a great resolution. 
Um, but as I said, this isn't something primarily one-to-one. It is that, but it's, it has at its core this idea of a community. This is beloved. It's, it's a group of beloved people. He's speaking to a church like our church. Let me give a, a moment of application for our church living out what Paul describes when he, when he mentions um, uh, working out our salvation. It, it does include being with the church on the Lord's Day. Now, COVID has thrown a giant wrench into that. I understand that. I completely understand that. We all now walk with our mask everywhere we go, and it keeps many of us at home. I know there are people right now watching at home, many of them because they're concerned about COVID. I completely get that. We've worked out ways using technology so that you can be here with us, even though you're not here with us. Those of you who are watching from home, we love you. You are with us. We care about you right now. We love you. And we're grateful that you got up early and you made the arrangements you had to make, fed the kids, fed the pets, did what you had to do to be here. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I also want to challenge each of us to make it a priority, if possible, to be sitting in this building every Lord's Day. Uh, the session has actually set up a room just at the end of the hall, which is COVID strict. That everyone in that room, in fact, everyone in that end of the hall is masked at this very moment. They're watching just down the hall. I've talked to folks who are down there and they tell me it is a, a wonderful way to be able to engage the fellowship, the community. And to you in the, in the COVID safe room, we love you. We're thankful that you are here. And I want to tell that to each one of you sitting here in this room. We're all aware of the risks. Uh, if you're living and breathing and paying any attention in January 2021, you know there is a risk. We've all had tests done. I've been tested, I think, four different times for COVID. All negative, thankfully. We all know what that risk is. It's real. There, there are people dying from this disease. It is a real concern. But let me urge you anyway to get up, put on your mask, and come to church. Next Sunday's Communion Sunday. You can't do Communion Sunday on Facebook. You can watch. You can watch, watch if you have to, but... You can't do communion. We want to do communion. So let me just put a word of encouragement. I want everybody to be safe. I want you to do what feels safe to you. But let me urge you, please, consider coming to church if you can, if you feel up. If you have any symptoms, stay home. If you're particularly vulnerable, we understand. But if you can, please come be with us. We're, we're taking so many pains to keep everybody safe there are a few people here who aren't masking in the room for different reasons they're all so well-mannered we all distance we all take care to make sure that we look after one another and we'll continue to do that but let me encourage you to please live out your salvation walk out your salvation with fear and trembling 
together as part of our community. We're talking about things like opening up our Sunday school again, the session, the little team I'm, I'm a part of. We, we talked about that yesterday. When's the right time? We miss it. We miss adult education. We miss children's Sunday school. We, we miss these things. We don't want to rush it. We don't want to put anybody in harm's way. But we're thinking about it. We're praying about it. We'd encourage you to think and pray with us about how we can safely and lovingly live out our community life. So, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I will pray for you. Please pray for me. But verse 13 makes it very plain that Paul doesn't understand verse 12 as standing completely by itself. And I wish I'd, I wish I'd known my Bible well enough 30 years ago when I was talking to my friend in seminary when he quoted verse 12 to me. I, I wish I'd known my Bible well enough at that time simply to say, read verse 13. <laughs> Yes, Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Absolutely, verse 13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is God who puts it on your heart to want to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's actually God at work in you. He gives you the desire to will to do it and to do it. He makes it possible for us to do what we can't do by ourselves. He's the one who makes it possible for us to live a life worthy of what he's done for us. Uh, The Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, which we're the grateful beneficiaries of, uh, talks at great length about our being saved by grace through faith. We are saved by grace, brothers and sisters. We are saved by grace. We are saved by grace. And we are sanctified by grace. It is not a matter of you or me gritting our teeth, hoping that maybe, hoping, hoping, oh, gritting my teeth on the edge of my chair. I hope it's going to happen. Oh, my goodness. I'm near despair. We slip into that all too often. Martin Luther spent a big chunk of his life there. But it's not like that. Or it shouldn't be. No, Paul wants the Philippian Christians, and he wants us to know, that actually it's God working in us, making us more like Jesus. It's God working in us, conforming us to his image. Uh, Chapter 14 of the Westminster Confession, I think this is one of the most uh, meaty, pithy, and important sections in the Westminster Confession because it describes most of our life, the way we live out this justification that is ours through grace by faith. How do we live that out? Well, there are three paragraphs. Verse 1 talks about being called and regenerated, having a new heart, being further sanctified, the, the, the real and personal transformation that always accompanies saving faith. That's what James was talking about when he said, faith without works is dead. That's, of course, no living faith will simply leave us dead. Living faith brings us life. So, yeah, if you don't have faith, if, if you're not living it out, Big worry, concern, speak to someone if you're not seeing evidence of that. Don't be 
hypercritical. Don't be second, triple, quadruple guessing yourself. Remember, it's God who gives you the grace to want, to want, to want, to obey him. It's God's grace in your life that brings you to a place where you care. Study the Bible. Join the fellowship and grow in that. Paragraph 3, and I'll conclude with this, talks about uh, a war. We're involved in this war. and It says, in this war, although remaining corrupt for a time, and that may prevail, yet through the continual supply of strength from the sanctifying Spirit of Christ, the regenerate part doth overcome, and so the saints grow in grace, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That's my life. That's your life. The Spirit of Jesus transforming us, making us more like Him, living lives worthy of what He's done, Him changing us, us us working together, admonishing each other, encouraging one another, building one another up. That's the gospel. That's how we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, trusting in Christ.